0: You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, February 5th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. It's not just Sitka that's seeing a reduction in ferry service this year. For the second summer in a row, ferry trips across the Gulf of Alaska likely won't happen. The Alaska Marine Highway System is cutting back summer service based on its schedule released last month. As KMXT's Davis Hovey reports, staffing issues and overdue maintenance are making reliable service unpredictable for dozens of communities.
1: Some key routes will be scaled back this summer and potentially even cut altogether, including the usual sailings across the Gulf of Alaska. Typically, the MV Kennecott connects the regions of South Central and Southeast with sailings across the Gulf of Alaska. It has also serviced Kodiak Island in the past. But this summer, the mainline service from Bellingham, Washington to Whittier won't happen, and it's unlikely the cross-gulf community of Yakutat will see a ferry at all. Sam Dapsevich is a spokesperson for the Alaska Marine Highway System, or AMHS, under the Department of Transportation. He says this summer's schedule is similar to last year's, with the Kennecott potentially being out of service from May to the end of September.
2: Right now, the schedule that's out is the same. The Kennecott is not on the schedule, but we are seeing a bump in recruitment, and we're hopeful that we might be able to get the Kennecott back onto the summer schedule this year if that trend holds.
1: The Kennecott is an ocean-going vessel, which means some crew members need to have higher levels of certification in order to work on the ferry, making it harder to find qualified employees. Dapsevich says that if the department can fully staff the Kennecott by May, then the cross-gulf of Alaska route sailings could happen. Hope then turns to the Tustamina, or the Trusty Tusty, as it is affectionately known by many Alaskans. Kodiak Island's flagship ferry is in its 60th year of service, basically double its life expectancy. As such, talk of replacing the Tustamina has been underway for years. Dabovich says as of this week, the project has not gone out for bid. Despite its age and frequent need for repairs, the Tustamina is scheduled to sail its usual Kodiak Island route this summer, including stops in Old Harbor once a month starting in June. Michael Queen is the chief purser on board the Tustamina. During a recent trip from Homer to Kodiak, he told KMXD how critical the Alaska Marine Highway System is for coastal residents.
2: I live on an island, you know, and and we deserve highways every bit as much as the person who gets into their car and drives from Anchorage to Palmer.
1: But coastal Alaskans have less reliable transportation right now with four ferries currently out of water, leaving only five vessels still in service. The MV Columbia is laid up in the shipyard for annual overhaul work after resuming service in Southeast last spring. AMHS expects the Columbia to return to service in May in time to do the summer sailings from Bellingham to Juneau. One of the fleet's oldest ferries, the Matanuska, is also unlikely to sail at all this summer. Dampsevich says the Matanuska, which normally sails into Prince Rupert, British Columbia, is still undergoing major work on its hull.
2: We had it scheduled for an overhaul. When we brought it in, um, they determined that there was quite a bit of steel that was going to need to be replaced. There's also some Coast Guard requirements that we're coming up against, where there was a deadline to do some major changes uh, on the boat.
1: Without the Matanuska Online, AMHS is anticipating not being able to sail to the community of Prince Rupert this summer. While staffing shortages persist and several vessels remain dry docked with maintenance issues, a temporary solution to fill service gaps is to contract them out. Dabcevic says this is called supplemental service. You know, running six
2: ships, trying to cover every different event has been challenging. Um, down in southeast, I know we've added some supplemental service where we have contracts with uh, Allen Marine and Goldbelt—they've been able to help us cover some of the some of the gaps down here.
1: As the summer season draws near, ferrygoers can view the latest schedule changes and service notices online at ferryalaska.com. Reporting in Kodiak, I'm Davis Hovey.
0: A condominium developer in Juneau announced last week that it would sell units at market prices, which jumped up last year and have remained high. That's not an unexpected business decision, but it surprised many Juneau residents because the developer borrowed money from the city's affordable housing fund for the project. KTOO's Katie Anastas reports.
3: Last summer, a sign by a construction site on Glacier Highway advertised a development called Ridgeview, with apartments for rent coming in fall of 2023. For Juneau resident Carissa Armstrong, it was a glimmer of hope for more rental options in Alaska's capital city. I...
4: Make enough money to be able to kind of afford your standard two-bedroom in Juneau, but there's just nothing
3: available. By winter, the apartments for rent text on the sign was covered up. An email sent to those who signed up for the Ridgeview waitlist said the new units would be available for purchase at market price. On Monday, Ridgeview announced online that one-bedroom units would start at $375,000. Two-bedroom units would start at $495,000. Those prices surprised many Juneau residents because Ridgeview's developer is borrowing $1.2 million from the Juneau Affordable Housing Fund. Assemblymember Alicia Huscandes chairs the Lands, Housing, and Economic Development Committee. She says she's heard from Juneau residents who are upset about Ridgeview's prices.
4: I definitely heard from people who are just like, this is from and alone loan from the affordable housing fund, emphasizing that to me and then saying, so you think, you know, a two bedroom condo for half a million dollars is affordable.
3: And I don't. But she still thinks loaning the money was the right decision. I
4: think having something built that otherwise would not be built is good. And so, I mean, yes. And also it being a loan if I gave a grant and that was, and those were the prices and it was condos, no, I would not feel that way. But it's a loan, and there's that many more units in Juneau, so I do see that as the right move.
3: The city invites developers, nonprofits, and tribal governments to apply for grants and loans from the Affordable Housing Fund each year. Now, the assembly is considering terms and conditions they'd like to set for future loans. On Monday, city manager Katie Kester presented a potential list. Many of them are already in the program's guidelines, like the minimum number of affordable units for-profit developers have to include. Others are more specific, like requiring units to be rentals or prohibiting short-term rentals.
4: There are pros and cons to Uh, adhering to these guidelines. And of course, the assembly can still do whatever the assembly wants, whenever it wants. I mean, obviously within charter and and law guidelines.
3: But Kester said this is a chance for the assembly to more clearly set expectations for themselves, potential applicants, and the public. She said they're considering a fundamental question.
4: Is uh, the assembly okay awarding funds through through the affordable housing fund if there's no affordability component?
3: Rooftop Properties, the developer behind Ridgeview, applied for a loan from the Affordable Housing Fund to help build 24 units. The assembly approved an ordinance that said five units would be for people earning up to 80 percent of the area median income. But a few months later, former city manager Rory Watt suggested the assembly remove the affordability requirement. He said the developer wanted 25 years to pay off the loan if it required five affordable units.
2: That is a long time to tie up $1.2 million, um, for that many units.
3: Instead, Watt suggested a shorter-term loan for a market rate project. Former Assembly member Carol Treem said adding any units could help lower the overall cost of housing in Juneau. Our aim is
4: on affordability, and one way we do that is through this directed
1: requirement of having a certain number of units be reserved for a certain level of income. But another way we do that is just adding any housing unit.
3: Member Wahal-Gadok Barbara Blake opposed removing the affordable housing requirement.
1: To
4: me, that is not what the intent of the Affordable Housing Fund is for, Um, so I'm going to be a no vote on this.
3: She was the only assembly member to vote against moving the revised ordinance forward. The assembly passed it in May without objection. When asked via email about the decision to sell the condos rather than rent them out, developer Garrett Johnson replied that condos provided the most flexibility. He said the condos owners could rent them out in the future. Hugh Scandy says every affordable housing fund grant or loan helps the city refine the process.
4: And? I would like us to make sure that funds that are in the affordable housing fund are resulting in an affordability requirement.
3: The two latest projects recommended for funding are set for public hearing on Monday night. Both propose a monthly rent of $1,400 for some or all of their units. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas.
0: A new proposal from Palmer Republican Senator Shelley Hughes would require Alaska school districts to train a volunteer able to carry a concealed handgun on school grounds. As reported in the Alaska Beacon, Hughes' proposal, Senate Bill 173, received its first hearing last week in the Senate Labor and Commerce Committee. Hughes told colleagues that many of Alaska's schools are rural, remote, and many days away from law enforcement. She said her bill would serve as a stopgap. Front-end interventions such as mental health treatment and resources to help students are still needed, she said, but if the worst happens, she said she wants help nearby. No public testimony was taken during last week's meeting, but letters sent to the committee overwhelmingly opposed Hughes' bill. Of 51 letters received through noon January 24th, only two were supportive. Dr. Charles Ross Baldwin, a trauma surgeon in Anchorage, was one of those who wrote in opposition. As a trauma surgeon, I see a large number of self inflicted and accidental gun related injuries. While there are a lot of emotions around protecting children, the reality of putting guns in schools in the hands of inadequately trained civilians would likely increase risk of harm to students more than it would help prevent violence, he said. Current state law prohibits someone from carrying a deadly weapon on school grounds without the permission of the chief administrative officer of the school or district. Larger schools and those in urban areas frequently have armed school resource officers permitted by the district, and Hughes said SB 173 would be an extension of that effort. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.